ICOs and those kind of scams have poisoned the well to the point where people can't really, they can't really tell what is a real business and what is not. Hello there from Bedford, UK, the mecca of Bitcoin. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Alan Silbert, Jameson Lop, and Samson Mao, where we talk about INX and their recent token offering. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. So first up today, we're going to welcome back Least Authority as a sponsor for the podcast. Now, this one is for you techies out there the builders creating the applications. Lease Authority is a security consulting company pushing the limits on how to build privacy-respecting solutions. They specialize in security audits, design specification reviews, and security by design. They can help you improve the security of your wallet application, key management solution, layer two protocol, P2P network design, use of cryptography, and so much more. If you want to boost your security strategy, well, you can arrange a no-obligation call to find out how Lease Authority can help you with your next project. Just head over to their website and hit the schedule a call button, which is leastauthority.com, which is L-E-A-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com. Next up is sportsbet.io, the best in online gaming. And last week, they made a huge announcement. I'm so excited about this. They have confirmed that they will be the main club partner and front of shirt sponsor for Southampton next season in the Premier League. Also, they will be placing a Bitcoin logo on the front of the shirt. Not the shoulder, not the sleeve, slap bang in the middle of the shirt. Every week, billions of people around the world watching Premier League football will be seeing the Bitcoin logo. I've told you before how much the sports bet team loves Bitcoin. And they are using their voice in sport to push it forward. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T.io. And also, let's talk about Casa, the best in Bitcoin security. With Casa, it could not be easier to protect your Bitcoin from hackers, personal mistakes, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. And with Casa, they have a product for every Bitcoiner. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet for only $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their three or five multi-sig, the best protection for large Bitcoin holders at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get the full service offering, including a customized personal security review, inheritance, and of course, the best-in-class security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Okay, so onto the show, and as I'm sure a lot of you have seen over the past week, things have been heating up on Twitter after INX announced their token offering on Ethereum and registered with the SEC, the first ever SEC-registered security token offering. Now, lots of Bitcoiners were unhappy with the news that this was being offered as an ERC-20 token on Ethereum, and there was a backlash to this and a bunch of other parts of the project, specifically aimed at Jameson Lop and Samson Mao, who have both been very critical of Ethereum. Now, I know Samson and Jameson well, and when the news broke, I asked them to come on the show and give their side of the story. I also asked Alan Silbert, the managing director of INX, to make his What Bitcoin Did debut to go through this. And as ever, I always try to be fair. There's a lot I don't like about the project, but I also think some of the backlash has been a bit over the top in places. 
So I tried to be fair as possible and I tried to push them on the topics that I thought were most interesting. So I hope you enjoy this. I hope you get out of it what you need. As ever, you know, if you've got any questions about this, you don't agree, you do agree, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I've also added a link in the show notes to the prospectus. If you want to check it out, it's in there. And yeah, any questions, reach out to me. Also, check out Defiance. We've got the final episode of my series documenting the band The Ghost Inside coming out on Thursday. If you haven't followed that story, that's now the fastest and biggest downloaded show on Defiance, which is very cool. By Thursday, all four episodes will be out. Outside of that, have a great week, and I will see you all soon. Right, Alan, Samson, Jameson, welcome. And welcome, Alan. You haven't been on the show before. This is also a first for me. This is the first time I've had three shit coiners on at the same time so uh <laughs> so uh welcome all. all right listen look a lot to get in into here i've got a whole bunch of questions and typically as i'm not technical i'm also not particularly experienced in investing or company structures like with most things and, and, yeah so i've got a lot of questions and i'm going to try and be as fair as possible i do i do know that some people are going to listen to this their starting point is i hate this whatever it's not Bitcoin, go fuck yourself. So I'm going to ignore those people because a bit like when they score ice skating in the Olympics, I'm ignoring the the top and bottom 5%. I'm going to go in the middle and try and figure this out. Um, fundamentally, I don't have an issue with that. I wouldn't invest, and I'll tell you why, but I fundamentally don't have an issue with this. But anyway, lots and lots to get into. Um, right, so a starting point I actually want to get into because I think some of this was lost in the carnage of the announcement. Alan, can you firstly just tell me who and what INX is and the team is behind it, what they're trying to do, etc.? Because I know it's an exchange, but the majority of the, let's call it uh, uproar, was about the token and, and it failed to even get into the fundamentals of the business. So can you just tell me a bit about INX first? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And... Um... You know, it's and I'll kind of lead into it, but my background is in traditional finance. I was always in in regulated companies, middle market lending, did that for almost 20 years. And I got introduced to Bitcoin by my brother, I think it was probably late 2012, uh, dragged my feet on it for, you know, months and months and, until he like hit me over the head with it. And around the same time, I was getting very bored with my career path. And I just, I was just done. I just wanted a new challenge. So I started getting into Bitcoin, started digging in and kind of uh, the, the crossing point was one of these Jamie Dimon fortune articles said, you know, Jamie Dimon thinks Bitcoin's a scam, whatever. I was working for Capital One Bank at the time and they took one of my tweets about how Jamie Dimon was starting to backpedal, and they kind of plopped it right in the middle of the Fortune magazine article, and it said, Alan Silbert, SVP, Capital One, said this. So that didn't go over well at all. So <laughs> head of the commercial bank, HR, public relations, within 12 hours, I had a meeting with all of them, and they were like, you can never speak in public again about Bitcoin. <laughs> so, and in that moment... I was like, okay, this is this is my opportunity to to get out. Within like a week of that, I got introduced to, to the INX core team, who's in Israel. All of our tech is in Israel. Uh, I got introduced to them. They were looking for somebody to run U.S. operations for this platform, and so that's kind of how it started. 
I helped bring in the board members and the advisors as well. You know, two of the uh, famous ones are right here. You know, we wanted exchange experience like Samson's. I wanted security experience like Jameson's. Wanted trader experience like Whale Pandas. Uh, board members, you know, we have a lot of uh, big names in the legacy world. We wanted, you know, very trustworthy folks that understood the, the legacy trading systems. Like David Weald was from NASDAQ and Tom Lewis was from Ameritrade and Nick Fidani was from the Toronto uh, equities markets. And the, co the company's going to get built out in the U.S. in the New York area. So this is where the critical mass is going to be. Um, but that's kind of the, the, the core of the team is the Israeli tech team. We have a few of us who are in the U.S. and do have uh, all very visible board and advisors. Is it? I know this is like might have a different answer long term, but is it essentially a crypto-only exchange? Or are you also looking at like – you know, fractional assets of traditional kind of shares as well, or is it just crypto only? Yeah, so it's going to start with, in, in stages, it's going to be crypto first, um, it's, which is going to roll out about six months from the offering. And then security tokens is the next stage, and then derivatives is the next stage. Okay, okay. Um, but crypto derivatives only? Well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll do whatever we can manage from a regulatory perspective. You'll see, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little squirrely and I'm not trying to be evasive. No, I'm just, I'm just under so many <laughs> SEC rules and stuff that, um, you know, I, I have to be a little bit careful, but yeah, it's all laid out in the prospectus, the timelines and what we plan on. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll come to the prospectus. So, uh, I, so I opened it and it was like 168 pages in very small type. So that's, like, the that's the compressed version. That's the comp you're, well, you're I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm, it's usually like 300 pages. I know it's unprofessional, me, but I was like, I'm not fucking reading that. And uh, and then I, I then I, I opened the risk document. Expected. I don't know how they expect anybody to actually read these things. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. But, you know. And the risk document itself was like 23, 30 pages, and that was even smaller type. And I was like, okay, well, listen, if you can't explain it to me, then then I'm not interested. Uh, <laughs> this maybe is consumer protection, Peter. This is how it works, is we're, we're informing everyone of the risks, right? Yeah, but I think you could protect consumers more by forcing you to do it into a one-pager. Like, here are the main risks. Not every variation. Like, you know, so Alan might break his leg on the way to work and therefore can't come to work and therefore like decisions don't get made. So if like, it was just like a bullshit level of risks and like, it was too much. Anyway, it's like terms and conditions. When you it's, upgrade your yeah. iPhone, you don't read the terms and conditions and you just accept them. It's fucking nonsense world. All right. But listen, look, the exchange, the exchange business is a tough business. There's some massive companies out there, Kraken, Coinbase, Binance, etc. Like, it's a very competitive business. Looking at the amount that you're looking to raise, imagining the size of the team, imagining what you need to get to kind of break even point, that's a tough business to break into. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're up to the challenge, but like, how do you think you're going to get significant market share? Yeah. So, and we're, you know, we're up for the challenge. We obviously took the most difficult path ever with the, with the SEC. So we, you know, we we like challenges. This was probably the most challenging thing I've dealt with in my in my corporate career. But yeah, I'm with you know. We think you know. First of all, I won't name names, but I think some of the exchanges that have been built to date in the U.S. You know, I don't I don't agree with how things have been done or with their methods. Won't name any names there. A few of the guys in the U.S. exchange space, I do, I do uh, respect immensely, 
and they do a great job. Um, but, you know, we think we could bring a better trading experience for the trader. We can do it without shit coins. And, you know, we can do it without regulatory baggage, which, which most of them have. We believe the token holders are crucial to our success as well. So this was all uh, done uh, intentionally with the token holder community to be like a very important part of this company. They're getting 40% of the net profits of the exchange. You know, we want them to be our brand ambassadors. You know, XRP Army is a little cringy, but, you know, something along the same lines. And, you know, so you have like a captive marketing, captive ambassador army out there that's, you know, invested in the profits of the exchange, which is why we gave them, you know, a large percentage of our profits. And we think that they'll be very uh, crucial to our success and help to drive volume to us as well. Okay, so th there's one of the first points I need to like press you on a bit. So you said you think you can do this without shit coins. Jameson, you sent me an article yesterday, which I thought was very well put together, and you attempted to define what is a what is a shit coin. Uh, so do you want to like explain what you think is a shit coin? Uh, well, personally, I believe shitcoins are things that just do a terrible job at what they claim to do. Now, that's a very vague, hand-wavy assertion, right? Uh, so it becomes a lot easier, I think, to clarify a shitcoin if we're talking about something that's claiming to be money. And you know, this is where I think the traditional Bitcoin maximalist argument started out and can be a lot more clear, saying, okay, Bitcoin is the best hard, sound money out there. Anything else that's trying to be money is probably making trade-offs and it's not as good a money as Bitcoin. When we start talking about things that aren't trying to be money, well, the, the waters become a lot muddier, right? And so mm -hmm. that's when you start getting into uh, is a non-money crypto token a shitcoin or not. And that's when it becomes a lot more subjective because it comes down to, in many cases, whether or not the person thinks this needs to be a token or on a blockchain or whatever in the first place. And that's something that you can argue about at infinitum as to whether or not the, um, the features that you get from being on a blockchain, if you're not going for things like censorship resistance, uh, mm -hmm. whether or not those things have value. And I kind of agree. And I think there's like this spectrum. There's some people who are, if it's not Bitcoin, it's a shitcoin. There are some people that, okay, if it's not trying to be money, as you said, uh, or it's making poor trade-offs, so it's not making poor trade-offs, then it's uh, not a shitcoin. And then there's some people who believe there's no such thing, really, kind of no such thing as a shitcoin. They have a broad acceptance of any kind of crypto asset. I'm... I would say I'm towards the Bitcoin end of the spectrum, but like I'm willing to look at things. Like I don't consider this a shitcoin. I just think it's a way of you've tokenized an asset and have a way of selling it. And I'll come into my views on it. Uh, Samson, would you broadly agree with Jameson's view? Yeah, I think the article is really well written and it takes a step in the right direction, which is defining some things. Um, such as what is a shitcoin or even what is a Bitcoin maximalist. I think the the term maximalist has morphed over the years to become Bitcoin only and don't touch anything else that uses cryptography, uh, even if it's a stable coin or a security token. And this is kind of a weird place that we're in right now. So mm -hmm. I prefer the definition Bitcoin pragmatist. So would you say, well, Ethereum will treat on its own, would you say Bitcoin Cash is a shitcoin? Oh, yeah. Bitcoin Cash is the shittiest of the shitcoins. <laughs> okay. What about Litecoin? Litecoin, I don't think it's a shitcoin. Like, 
uh, I'm biased because I'm friends with Charlie and, and Ricardo, but I don't think Litecoin and Monero are shitcoins. They don't have a massive pre-mine. Uh, they didn't scam anybody. They don't make uh, promises that they can't deliver. That Litecoin just says it's silver to Bitcoin's gold, and that's pretty much it. Uh, Monero, you know, even Fluffy Pony just says like, don't don't use it, don't buy it. You know, it's like it's it's just a cryptocurrency. It doesn't really promise anything to the end users. I think Monero promises privacy, and I think they do a better job at privacy than most other privacy coins out there. So I'm fine with those two, and I don't consider them to be scams. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with Monero in that if I had to if I had to do a very private transaction, I think I'd be more comfortable doing it with Monero than Bitcoin because I'm not very good at the privacy side of things, where I know someone like Jameson can probably nail it with tour and coin join and all that stuff um and i know like there's an argument well you get seen go uh with the on-ramp on the off-ramp of buying monero but like the transaction itself i'm i'm you know fairly comfortable with i don't hate it um i think by jameson's definition litecoin is a shit coin even though charlie's my friend i i think by james what about zcash I think Zcash is a shitcoin. They have a founder's reward or whatever they're calling it. They're using the project to enrich themselves. That's why I prefer Monero because it's it's more similar to Bitcoin in that it has a open development community and it's funded by developers working on it rather than this model where you take money and pay yourself out of the block reward. This is part of the issue, though, is that um, you know someone may consider something to be a shitcoin because it has more centralized or more obvious governance. Someone may consider something to be a shitcoin because it has economic properties that aren't as sound. You know, perhaps it has perpetual inflation. Someone may consider another um, cryptocurrency to be a shitcoin because of just the marketing and, uh, you know, and in the case of like Bitcoin Cash of a lot of people saying, oh, this is the real Bitcoin. Well, you know, now you're going to trigger all the Bitcoin maximalists. And so it's definitely. <laughs> well, the other thing about Zcash is I think Zuko said, like, we'll build a backdoor or something like that. I, I forgot exactly what he said, but it was along those lines. And he's went out and made partnerships with banks like uh, Chase Bank. It, it's just like... You know, kind of weird for a privacy coin. Well, Zcash is a company, if you ask me. It's not a cryptocurrency. It's a, it's a company. Okay, so this is where one of the contradictions exists and one of the problems because, you know, Alan's saying we can do it without shit coins. I think there's an agreement that Bcash and Zcash are both uh, shit coins. But the website says, I'm just looking now, uh, INX blockchain asset trading solution, buy, sell, crypto, BTC, ETH, Litecoin, Zcash, BCH. So... The exchange is going to be supporting shitcoins under the definition of Samson, yourself, and you, Jameson, and Alan. <laughs> and this Samson isn't a culture. And Jameson's definitions, yes. So, you, so Alan, you don't think Bitcoin Cash is a shitcoin? I think that it, no, I, I do really. It's, it's. I think if people want to trade it, then it's fine. I, you know, I think that uh, you know everybody has PTSD from 2017, For sure. obviously. And the you know the vast majority of crap that came out was just people throwing it up against the wall to see if it would stick. It was, there are money grabs, and you know no protections, no structure, no visible management. So you know everybody knows my opinion of that Bitcoin Cash. I mean you know I don't think anybody's doing an exit scam there. <laughs> Nobody's going to go to an orphanage in India and implode the project. I mean it's it's going to be around. 
you know, should it be a top 10 coin? I don't know, but you know, I think this may come down to, you know, Alan may be using the term shitcoin uh, from the perspective of whether or not it's a scam, you know, and is fleecing investors. And there are certainly uh, hundreds, if not thousands of straight up scam tokens that, you know, especially came out during the last wave of, of hype and, uh, you know, those tended to be like pay to play, right? Where they would go around and actually bribe the various shadier exchanges to get listed and then engage in various pump and dump operations. I think, I don't think you can excuse every one of those token, those coins from being involved in similar kind of pump and dump um, scenarios. I just think there's a, there's a bit of a contradiction here and, there's definitely well, feels like a bit of a hypocrisy where I think that's where the, some of the kind of the feedback came from is people felt like, you know, Samson, like I feel like I can do any interview. I feel like if I need something from you, I can call you up and say, Samson, I need your help with something. I think you'll always help me. But at the same time, I have to say like, you know, just in an interview like this, I think there is like a certain amount of hypocrisy because this, you know, you've been, especially ETH, you've been very against, um, mm-hmm. but you have a financial interest in in the success of this. And by the way, I'm a hypocrisy. I'm a hypocrite myself because I have Kraken as a as a sponsor and they also trade in shit coins and you know perhaps that pays we part a, of my sponsorship. We have an array of interesting topics there. So what does it mean? The first one is what does it mean to support a, a shitcoin? As an exchange, can you list it and provide a market uh, and provide disclaimers? Like for BDC Times, when we post an altcoin article, we have a disclaimer there that says, you know, we we don't support your coins and blah, 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 and you're going to get wrecked if you buy it. But like, can Alan List be a uh, BCH or Bcash and provide that marketplace? And is that okay? Or is even the act of listing it supporting it? Because um, that definition is kind of broad. You could even say, um, you know, Bitfinex is supporting BSV because they list the BSV market, but they're also, you know, uh, defending the the lawsuit that you're facing right now too. Like some of the guys mm-hmm. there, yeah. Um, and you can say that's a good thing. They're taking the fees that the, the people that are willing to trade BSV are paying and using that to counter some of the bad stuff, like really bad stuff that is being done by that group. Then you could even say Blockstream is supporting uh, shitcoins too, because we have the cryptocurrency data feed that we launched together with ICE. And that's pulling together data from all the different exchanges and compiling it into one data feed. And that's on our website. And you can see like mm-hmm. all the shitcoin logos that are in that data feed. So I think mm-hmm. it's very complicated once you start figuring out how clean is any uh, given venue and defining all the questions of that purity test because even the bitcoin only exchanges are sourcing their coins from i don't know kraken or other exchanges that also indirectly support by listing yeah so i mean from our perspective you know we have to we have to answer to regulators so you, so we have two sides you have we're going to be trading cryptocurrencies you roll up to the money transmitter authorities and it has to be a clearly has to be a cryptocurrency and not a security so bitcoin bitcoin cash litecoin Ethereum squeezed by, got grandfathered in. It's not a security. Um, uh, Zcash. Uh, on the other side, the security token side, we we have to answer to you know FINRA and the SEC. So it's so to- security tokens that we list are going to have to go through some kind of regulatory process to you know show that they're uh, 
you know, they're viable and they're, and they're regulated. So I was just going to say, I think what you're kind of saying, Samson, also is like the absolute purity isn't possible. It's like, okay, I mean, I don't care if people trade this stuff. I think some of it's dumb. I don't care. I've always, the way, way I, not always, sorry. I've recently started to just think of it, it's a game now. Like Bitcoin is money and the rest of a lot of this stuff, it's just a game. And you're playing a game to just try and, you're trying to accumulate more money. There's That's a reason why saying. they're called shitcoin casinos, Peter. Yes, I, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. No. Yeah. But okay. So So the the other thing I want to talk on is your your point about hypocrisy. And then I want to go into the uh financial incentives too. <laughs> so I, I don't think that we are hypocrites. Like the definition of Bitcoin maximalism has shifted over time. Um and a lot of the people in the space now are so new that they lack any uh historical awareness. Like someone watching Jameson's Twitter feed may just see him talking about Bitcoin all day long. But I think they forget that he was a Bitco engineer that has worked on Bitcoin multi-sig and you know, Ethereum quote-unquote multi-sig mm-hmm. or whatever they, they passed to get away with that. But you know, he's worked on Ethereum before. And um, my background is I used to run BTC China, the cryptocurrency exchange. I was a COO there. And we were, the I think, the first exchange to list Litecoin. So, and, you know... Litecoin, <laughs> I, I, I think I've done a lot to help Litecoin over the years. And, you know, why am I suddenly a hypocrite? And I also helped ETC survive back when uh, ETH split off from the original chain. So I think people just have a very poor understanding of who anybody is. They just see people posting good things about Bitcoin and they presume that they are the same as they are. So you're saying, yeah, you're, I mean, you're, saying you're always a shitcoiner? <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> and, and, yes. The other point that you had was um, what the financial motivations. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 I hope the INX succeeds, but there is still a chance that INX doesn't complete the capital raise. And then, you know, the money I invested doesn't, isn't worth anything. And, you know, back when we invested in this project, that was like two and a half uh, years ago. It, it was not a sure thing. And it could have been lost at any point along the way during those uh, 900 some odd days that we were uh, going up with the SEC and trying to get it approved. Mm-hmm. So when you look at it now, it looks like, okay, that was a decent investment. But when we made the investment, you know, I'm just relying on Alan to uh, not shit the bed. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of, you know, th- this is a painful thing going around is it's like this 90 times return from, you know, it's, it's so ridiculous. But, I mean, it's, you know, everything we do is subject to audit and valuation and regulators. And, you know, we, we brought these guys on, like Samson said, it was a long time ago. The company was in its infancy. All we really had at that point was the beginnings of, an, of a platform construct and a team. Okay, so the, their token grants were not arbitrary. We didn't like it wasn't a handout. You know, it was the fair value at the time. We were a startup that and there, were, there wasn't much to go on to generate evaluation. But it was this is what the valuation was per an independent company and per audited by Ernst and Young. You know, it, it was this this was in the company's infancy. So it, it's um, so just just to speak to this like crazy 90 times uh, issue that's coming up. Well, um, I think this is actually a no win situation. Right. So what we're doing right now, there are there are plenty of people out there who are going to say, you know, you're just going into a defensive position right now. And 
you know, you are hypocrites and you're basically, you know, twisting logic in a way to try to portray what you've done as not being hypocritical. So there's always going to be, I think, a difference in perspective there. And kind of what Samson was hinting at, I think, is that I've seen a lot of people say, oh, Jameson abandoned his principles, you know, hashtag cancel lop, et cetera, et cetera. And w w from my perspective, my principles have been the same the whole time. What has been wrong is that there has been a, a misunderstanding, I think, between perhaps what I have vocalized as my principles and therefore what other people have uh, constructed to be my principles or that, you know, they believe that their principles are the exactly the same as mine. And that's one of the things that I tried to cover in my article where I, I show historically, I have gotten you know, Twitter mob backlash on numerous occasions when I have mentioned my interests in non-Bitcoin projects. Grin. Yeah, that's one of the more recent ones. That's definitely not the only time that this has happened though. You know, I was running Zcash. I was running Zcash before the network launched and playing around with it. I'm sure I can dig up those tweets somewhere. But, um, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, you know, everyone comes to Bitcoin and crypto with their own perspective and their own interests. I'm a technologist and I'm not ever going to apologize for being interested in other technologies. Now, I try not to hand out financial advice to anyone. And uh, if, if I have been telling people that they should put their money into anything, even Bitcoin, I try not to say put, put a decent amount of money into. And even Bitcoin, I, I tend to tell people it should be a small amount at most. But um, you know, that's because I'm not a finance uh, professional. I am a tech guy and I play with technology. And if that means that I end up uh, pissing people off because they're coming at this from a different perspective, I kind of view that as an inevitability. And it's just something that I'm going to continue having to deal with. And uh, no one's going to cancel me. I'm not going to stop doing what I've been doing for quite a few years. I think what we have this issue I don't know if it's an issue. Some people say it's not an issue. Shut up, Pete. But like, we have this thing where Bitcoin has created this moral business purity, which is very hard to live up to, like extremely hard to live up to. And if that's your benchmark for everyone, it's going to be very difficult to build a, an economy off that, especially as humans themselves are flawed. Like we are greedy. We are competitive. We do want to win. Yeah, and sometimes people, you know, have to push the limits. Like. I based on the the purity test, for example, my own podcast, I would have to dump Kraken because they allow trade of shit coins. I have to dump BlockFi because they allow they have a custodial solution for interest. I have to dump sports bet because uh gambling is morally uh, unethical. I'm I'm without sponsors and I'm without a business. But if you actually if you actually look at the root of you know, a lot of libertarians talk about free choice, like all of these companies are free choice. You're free to gamble if you want to gamble. You're free to invest in tokens if you want to to a token. You're free to uh, deposit your money with BlockFi for interest if you want. They're all like free choice. But we have this like moral benchmark of uh, purity that's very hard to live up to. And and I struggle with it with it myself. But I think that's what you're being judged on by some parts. Well, I think it's just people 
want to be angry at something. Yeah. Like there, there was, there's like a dozen different permutations of how how INX's uh, fundraising could have gone, and with each of those, there will be a outcry and uh, angry mob. And I just think it's really ironic that you have these people that are supposed to be libertarian, but they're so angry when people do things, especially something capitalistic like uh, fundraising. It just uh, blows my mind. But the other other point you're making is like uh, that that purity test. Um, it's kind of weird, and I, I really think it's just people want to be angry. Mm-hmm. I was arguing with somebody, I forgot who, and I said, "Well, why don't you hate on the exchanges?" And he said, "Well, no, exchanges get a free pass." But how does that make any sense? INX is an exchange, and you know, it, it's like the other exchanges are delving more and more into you know shit coinery. I get emails from exchanges saying, "Come stake with us." And these are exchanges that hire very prominent Bitcoin maximalists. And, you know, they're emailing me saying stake and other crap. And INX is using a uh, ERC token. And that's just to launch the security. It is not bound to that. The security is with the company. It's not with the rail, which is the token. Uh, INX's token can be on any chain, like a stablecoin. So just because they had to use Ethereum for pragmatic reasons doesn't mean that it's always going to be on Ethereum or that they even want it or that the advisors like it. But I think we all understand that you know, there is pragmatism involved when you're doing business. Well, let's deal with the Ethereum thing as you brought it up. That was later on. Okay, so this is 100% and you, you're going to struggle to push me off this one, Samson. This, this is a hypocritical position because you have validated Ethereum as having a use case. Well, it does get used. Like obviously, people are using it to do things, mm-hmm. and even but you. Like, but you're I, using it. Well, I'm not using it because I haven't taken my tokens. Right? I you know wait. what I mean. You, but you know but, what I mean. No, well, no, this no. is this is actually an interesting perspective, right? Is that when I I think forward about how I will be interacting with the tokens if I choose to exercise my option. I suspect I will just leave them on the INX exchange and let INX you know, custody those keys and because I'm already trusting INX you know 100% for everything. Uh, you know that could always change, but you know this is kind of the perspective I've taken as a technologist and what I tried to explain uh, the functionality of the token itself is that it is agnostic as to the platform or network that it's on, uh, just really like Tether. Uh, there is a single uh, point of control, and that is INX, which ultimately is the bookkeeper, the, the keeper of record of ownership of these tokens. And so, you know, unfortunately for regulatory reasons, had to go with the Ethereum route. Um, but there's no reason why it couldn't eventually be on another network or even multiple networks, just like Tether is. But yeah, it, so, but it is on yeah, Ethereum. I'm- yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm as Bitcoin maximalist as they come. You know, I think I own you know ten dollars worth of ETH or something. I do, you know, it's and ninety five percent of my crypto portfolio is in Bitcoin. So I'm about as maximalist as they come. And you know, this process started in late 2017. There were, there was zero other options. Like this, this was it to build a token with a regulatory construct. Um, that we could, you know, control things. You know, we're not claiming to be some new decentralized Bitcoin. You know, there's r- regulatory controls here. Um, you know, there's uh, we have Oracle rights and stuff. We can change things, but it, it was the only option. And the way that the regulatory process goes, you just become more and more painted into a corner. 
you know, it's like the risks and disclosures that you're mentioning is just one example. Every time the SEC comes back with comments, they just add, they pile it on, you know, put this disclosure in, put this disclosure in. And it's so expensive and so time consuming and so frustrating. You know, I got to the point in late last year where I was like, guys, don't change one fucking sentence in this prospectus anymore. Just don't do it. Because every sentence just has the uh, the ability to generate exponentially more questions. So even if mid-process, uh, like a liquid, was like perfect for the, our functioning, um, it 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 was we just get to the point of no return. Uh, it's just it's the regulated process just does this to you. Fine, um, but but uh, what I would say is, and you know, because uh, Samsung, we spoke to Vitalik the other day, and and. When people talk about Ethereum being a scam, I always struggle with the idea that a platform is a scam. I think people can be scammers, and a platform can be used for scams, but I struggle with the idea that a platform is a scam. And I don't, again, this is going to annoy people, probably like Giacomo will be annoyed at me for saying this. You know, when people talk about the history of uh, Ethereum has changed, again, it doesn't really bother me because technology pivots. So I don't actually care about that. And then also people say, well, it can't deliver in the future. And again, I'm less bothered about that in that not every technology is forever. You know, I don't have, I only have a mobile phone in my house now. We used to have an analog phone. We don't have that anymore. Not every technology lives forever. If right now that technology is usable to deliver something for a business and is the only option, again, some people, especially someone like Giacomo, are going to say you're validating a scam, blah, blah, blah. My point is whether it's a scam or not, you're validating the usage of it. And that's, I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but what I'm saying you're validating it has a use case whilst also being very critical of it. And there, there is a certain amount of hypocrisy well, there. Okay, so Ethereum is a scam because of their massive pre-mine, the fact that they, they sold their token for Bitcoin. So they themselves basically put Bitcoin in the vending machine, get the Ethereum out, and then they take the Bitcoin out of the back of the machine. So they're basically self-dealing. And they're telling people that it's a world computer, it's never going to get rolled back, code is law. So there's like multiple facets of Ethereum that make it a scam. And I think you can still use the technology, but the project itself is very scammy in my view. And I think I've been pretty consistent. Like I can hate Ethereum and uh, say, don't use Ethereum. But I think I can also invest in a project that you know is using Ethereum because they have no choice at that point. The question really is, do I want to invest in the project or not? It's not about if the project is using Ethereum or not, because it's not bound to it. It's just like, I don't know, they could use uh, Omni if, if for all I care. I don't really mind. If the end goal is that they're going to use something better, like Liquid, then I'm okay to invest short term so they clear the regulatory hurdles. And the Ethereum token, kind of like what Jameson is talking about, doesn't really come into play until you have uh, other security exchange, security token exchanges that are supporting the token, because you don't need to transport it. You just leave it on INX. Like I will never touch the INX ERC-20. I'll take it when it becomes a liquid token or when I need to move it. But until then, it just can sit there and you know, earn 40% profit. I but, think you technically but, don't even own the tokens right now, right? I think it's yeah. still t- I think it's still six yeah. months. So, they, so. But but yeah. but Sam's and I would say, just externally speaking, you know, and it's not always comfortable to say this. Somebody you like get, you get on well with, but I would say you're in a very very small group of people who don't who doesn't think this is hypocrisy. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take the adversarial view on that, which is that, you know, by launching this project on Ethereum, um, it is using gas, it is paying Ethereum miners, uh, you know, from a perspective, it is uh, contributing to the, you know, financial support of the Ethereum network, you know, as these tokens are being used. And so that, you know, is not something that I would choose uh, to support myself. Um, uh, I'm not going to be moving around INX tokens on Ethereum uh, uh, for you know those reasons and others. And you know that is why I think a number of us who prefer to see things supporting the Bitcoin system would like to see it moved to something that is more Bitcoin adjacent. But but you are the technology advisor. I am. And yeah, and unfortunately, you know, this is the clash between technology and regulation. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, but I'm pretty sure by the time that I actually was brought on board as the technology advisor, the, uh, you know, Ethereum as a platform had already been pretty much set in stone. Yeah, it, it predates all these guys. It was, yeah. it was one of the first decisions made in the company. So, and, you know, and we didn't, we didn't retain these guys for their, Ethereum experience, <laughs> yeah. But say what, we, what, we retain what, them for their security and uh, in trading experience. So what 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 were the other options? Did you? I mean, did you look at Omni? Was Omni an option? No, I, I I don't I can't even I don't think it was even a viable option back then. There were there were zero, literally zero other options for what we wanted to accomplish with us with our smart contract and the whitelisting. It's we we had no other options. That this was it. Do, do you know what I see it as actually? The way I, I read it all, I saw it as there is an opportunity to – we have a new world of investing, right, where people trade in tokens and cryptocurrencies and they move things between exchanges and wallets. There's this infrastructure that's been built, and this now is an opportunity to add to that infrastructure. It's not necessarily that a blockchain is the best design for this. I appreciate the argument that some people said, you could have done this on the centralized database. You could have. But, no, you couldn't have. Well, but what I'm we saying. Can get into that later. <laughs> okay, well, we'll come back to that. But there is an argument that you could have registered while you waited for Liquid. Potentially, that people had registered. You could have registered their tokens on a centralized database. But the point is, I wrote that off. Is that you have this new type of investor who's used to holding a hardware wallet, who's used to holding assets. Um, off, essentially offline in their hardware wallets. They used to trade on these certain kind of exchanges, and this is potentially. Uh, the future of trading. And I thought, well, perhaps there's a solid argument to say the infrastructure for this already exists. Um, people are already used to this experience. I don't buy shares. I don't buy shares. I haven't even looked at the process of buying shares. But if I wanted to, if I could do it and store it on, on a ledger and buy it on Kraken or you know, INX, I'm actually a little bit more interested in that because I'm like, okay, that makes life a bit easier. I can. I actually like the idea of storing all my investment assets in one place. Like I can have my Bitcoin next to my, what essentially are kind of shares. I know they're not essentially equity shares, but having that all in one place, I bought into the argument. I buy into that. You know, it isn't a shit coin. And that was my assumption is that what you're going for. You'll see in this future of trading that that is these you know tokens which are securitized. And that that is potentially where you're seeing the opportunity for INX in a very competitive exchange market. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's 
trillions of illiquid assets out there that you can tokenize and you know which is still we're, we're starting to see that open up it's uh you know would we would have liked it for it to be faster but you're starting to see real estate seems to be like the first first kind of project where you have like illiquid assets that are getting tokenized and you know and that'll branch out into you know other things like art and other like dead assets or ideas that are patents or you know other things that you can tokenize and you know, it's like the sky's the limit. There's, you know, there's there's trillions of dollars of assets that are, are possibilities, and you know, we thought that doing this in a regulated, structured way is the only way to kind of get it get it to pass muster. And and is the kind of like again the KYC thing came up, and again I understand you can't do this without KYC, right? You can Bitcoin without KYC if you're very careful and you jump through certain hoops, you have a way of acquiring offline, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't actually do this without KYC. And also, I felt the KYC attack vector on you, Jameson, was unfair is because you can't really live without money, right? So a need for um, non-KYC money, there's a logical argument. You can't actually acquire any shares without KYC, so, and it's optional. You don't need shares to survive. It's nice to invest and make a profit, but you can't get away from from that. So the KYC didn't bother me. But are we heading into a world whereby I may own a certain asset and I'm KYC whitelisted with you? I can transfer that to anybody else within the same ecosystem. Yeah. I could be sat in a pub with Jameson and say, look, do you want to buy some of my I don't know, my tokenized shares in this Picasso? And he's like, Yeah, I'll take that off you and yeah, he gives me some Bitcoin and I can just send it to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And look, yeah. Listen, this is, I think, one of the things that pisses off a lot of the hardcore uh, cypherpunks and anarchists who hate the idea of the government, you know, getting their hands in everything. And in fact, um, you know, I, I had a quip earlier where I was like, what is a scam? I was about to actually mention I received an article, I think it was from Old Ugly Goat, that was basically um, detailing why. Yeah, the SEC is one of the greatest <laughs> scams in the existence of, you know, finance. And I, as, you know, a uh, futurist and uh, anarcho-capitalist, would love to see a world in which we could tokenize uh, everything from equity to other assets and freely trade them without having to do AML, KYC, whitelisting, etc. You know, really have uh, a... Bitcoin-style censorship-resistant token for any asset under the sun. And I think, and I hope, and I believe that we are all working to get there one day. But I actually believe that by us moving the needle a little bit and trying to bridge the gap from the regulated side of things to show that, you know, this blockchain crypto token ecosystem is not automatically a scam that, you know, you can actually get uh, regulators to say, okay, you know, you can do this and we're not going to throw you all in jail. Then that gets us a step closer, I believe, to onboarding people, perhaps a lot of people who love the idea of government and regulation and they feel safe within that ecosystem. And now they're starting to inch closer to this uh, you know, cypherpunk, uh, self-sovereign type of future. You know, one step at a time, you know, and, and each little step is going to piss off a lot of people, uh, you know, who have their own perspectives and they, they want to, you know, jump into their utopian uh, future right now. But I believe that, you know, by eventually little by little bridging these gaps, 
we can start to build a world in which people are you know able to engage in more voluntary interactions and this is not that perfect ideal world but i think that it is at least a step in the right direction and you know it's 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 proving that we can get a little bit closer so i, I want to touch on that so what lop is saying is we need to move the ball forward somehow and to your your point peter like me investing in a project that is using ethereum legitimizes it i think you can argue that but i think the more important part is I'm investing in a project to make a security token trading platform exist. And Ethereum is just irrelevant at that point. It's just what they need to do to get the filing done, get the regulatory approvals, and launch the project. What comes after is what really matters, not the genesis of it. And like what it Alan, can attest, Alan can attest to this. Like Since I joined, I've been badgering him at least like once a week, saying, can we do something? Can we change it? And on the other side, I'm doing what Lop is saying, which is I'm trying to make it possible. So we built liquid securities on top of the liquid network. And I'm working on getting uh, SEC and uh, FINRA comfortable with liquid too. But it's not just like you wish something happens and it happens automatically. There's a lot of work to be done behind the scenes to make it possible. And for me, it's really just, do we have INX or do we not have INX? And I'd rather have INX, take some shit from people online and make it what I want it to be, which is you know a liquid supporting exchange. Yeah, but I get that. What I'm saying is you had to bend your principles a little bit. Not really. I, I'm still saying Ethereum's a scam. It's just I'm investing in a security that happens to use it. I don't think that's in conflict with my principles. I'm quite consistent since I, I think since the inception of Ethereum. So I've always looked down on Ethereum and thought it was garbage from the day like the, uh, Vitalik came to BTC China and tried to launch it. I walked out of that meeting halfway because I thought this is just techno babble and it's a shitty project. But, until but, but garbage I, I, and a scam are two different things. Like I don't want to keep going over the point, but garbage and like if you're saying it's a scam but you are you i think you are i personally think you're bending your principles to use it because you're essentially okay with the using the scam so that is that is that has to be a bending of your principles because i would have right. thought if you think something's a scam you you if if your principles are uh, if you hold really strong principles you say i can't have anything to do with that because my principles say this what I'm saying is you've bent your principles a little bit for it. And by the way, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I've bent my principles in life. You know, I think a lot of people do. I don't think they always admit it. I think a lot of what? the anarchists who 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 uh, have a vision of the world still uh, liaise with and use government services, and that's just the way of the world sometimes. You have to well, sometimes we, bend your principles. I'm pretty sure most of us live under the rule of a government. But, yeah. uh, you know, personally, I'm not going to touch it. And you could say I've already bent my principles because I've, I've bought ETC before in the past to support the original chain, but I still won't use ETH myself. But I think the other thing is a lot of people don't understand how companies work. Just because I invested in it doesn't mean I get to control INX. And you could say it's a cop-out, but I invested in it to steer it the way I think it should go. But I'm fully aware that I can't do that. It's not my company. I'm just an advisor yeah, it's and a shareholder. Right. Okay. It's a cop out then. So. <laughs> I think it is. That's the one. I'm, I'm, you're not going to win with me on that one. I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll be as fair as I can. That one, I was like, yeah. That I, I just. There's nothing you've said that's changed my view that you've bent yeah, the principles. But, but that's okay. I've bent principles in life. 
I've always been a pragmatist. Like I've I've gone at it with Roger because uh, I said credit cards are good, and he says no, you can only use Bitcoin. But I think it's fine to use a credit card, pay for stuff using the biggest rail on the planet, and settle it up with Bitcoin. I, I've said good things about Tether. I think Tether is a a great utility for trading, and it's on like every chain. <laughs> so I, I don't think I've bent my principles. I'm fine with things that are practical. I, I think I think what will come out of this is is not many people's opinions will change on that individual point but it's not you know oh, it's not the end of the world but i had to, well maybe maybe All right alan another thing i wanted to ask you about because the other thing i didn't understand is when you invest in a company you usually get equity with this you aren't you're getting it says on your website before represent uh, ownership in a company after represent ownership in an asset so can i ask is there essentially two levels of ownership with this there is the equity in the company with which you have shareholders and there's now the token, which uh, pe- which essentially has uh, represent an ownership in the cash flow, and they two two to both exist, and they two separate things. Right. So, what we we wanted to create like a totally new asset class. Um, the shareholders of the company, it's just uh, your run of the mill private equity. Uh, they they have voting rights. They're uh, the private equity holders. So, very straightforward. Um, so we wanted to build this whole incentive model with the token holders. Like I said before, they're like they're very. We think that they're crucial to the success of the company. So we gave them the forty percent profit share, um, and in addition to that, they get discounts of trading fees, and they also get liquidation preference on the cash fund that we're building. So what we figured is okay. They're they're not getting voting rights, but they're technically above the private equity on the balance sheet in the capital stack. They're really, they're carried as liabilities really. And so we, we think that we gave them like a compelling mix of benefits that makes this attractive. So they get the 40% profit share, you know, the, the, a large portion of the proceeds in this raise are going into the cash fund and the cash fund is segregated, can't be touched. It's, um, you know, to backstop the exchange and to, you know, to give it like a capital infusion. that's like an, an insurance fund of types. So if, um, in, in the liquidation scenario, scenario, the token holders get first rights to the cash fund. Um, if we get acquired, the cash fund gets distributed out to them, and the token lives on with all of its rights. So we think we gave them a mix of different attributes that, that are attractive to them. So and you know they're they're and they're above the equity and, and the, on the balance sheet. They're technically you know they're they come before equity holders. So okay, but an acquirer of the business is under no. Um, compulsion to carry on the token, right? They could cancel the token. Uh, yeah, I th- you know, I think um, you know the devil's in the details. Yeah. Uh, what we're contractually obligated to do um, is to pay out the cash fund pro rata to the token holders if there's a change of control. The, ca- the, ca- um, the cash fund know, is is that like is that essentially the cash flow of the business? Is that the the balance sheet? The, the, no, the, the cash fund is a segregated insurance fund, essentially. We could only go into it in certain uh, scenarios like a, a hack or some kind of regulatory shortfall. Okay. There, there's very limited scenarios that we can touch it, and it's in a segregated account. So that's what they have rights to. This is okay. separate from the cash flow of the business. We, we, just, we, can't, we can't touch it. Okay. Because it's, it's, it's this other kind of – actually, let me ask a question before that. So they have uh, access to 40% of the op- – essentially the operational profits – Mm-hmm. Um, is that before or after dividends are paid? 
Um, so this would it's operating cash flow. It's like cash net profits. Okay. Um, so dividends would have to be declared by the board and be and be issued and stuff. But I think that's dividends would have to be get paid after this. Yeah. In in the order of things. Uh, but staff bonuses would be before. Right, operating expenses would yeah, be before. Yeah. Okay. They, they, okay. They have, and and it's it's their contractual right that they receive forty percent of that profits. It, it can't be changed without us reneging on a written contract we have with them. I think I, I see what you're getting into there, and this is one of the more interesting adversarial perspectives yeah. that some people are, are saying. Of you know, there's probably a way for INX to not pay out anything and essentially pay themselves, right? And I think that's where the incentive alignment is. Like like Alan said, the devil is in the details, especially when you start getting into the game theory and incentive alignment of, you know, is there sufficient incentive amongst the um, power players, you know, at the company as token holders to ensure that the token holders get decently compensated? I think there's also the question of, you know, if you want the token to continue to have value, you need to prove that it, it is going to be making payouts. You know, I don't think that that doing something rash like you know playing around with the numbers to ensure that token holders don't get anything is going to be good for the long term success of this company. Yeah, it's, it's like I said before. Also, like the, like the the token is crucial to the business. You know, this community is crucial. It's it, it would. All the incentives are really aligned here because for us to do something detrimental to the token is really shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, besides the fact that you know the, all of senior management's token holders, the board of directors' token holders, the advisors are, are token holders, I think probably from a monetary perspective, I'm more incentivized to make sure the token goes up in value than the private equity of the company based on how much I, I own or how much I've been granted. Next up, I talk to Alan, Jameson, and Samson more about INX. But before that, I have a message from my amazing show sponsors. So firstly, let's talk about Kraken and why they are the best place for you to buy Bitcoin. Firstly, with their world-class security, they are the most trusted cryptocurrency exchange on the market. No dirty hacker is going to get in there and steal your Bitcoin. And with their 24-7, 365 customer support, they're going to help you out with any issue you have, whoever you are, and wherever you are. They also have the most comprehensive suite of tools for buying Bitcoin available out there. At Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start buying Bitcoin. And with their beautiful mobile-first app, you can buy Kraken on the go. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you think, yeah, I need me some more Bitcoin, you can whip out that app and buy. With their margin trading, futures, and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. Find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available on the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Last up today, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. With BlockFi, you can open up an interest account and start earning on your Bitcoin. I'm a customer. I have been for most of the year. And I've just crossed one Bitcoin in interest, which is super cool. Now, I don't hold a lot of Bitcoin with BlockFi. I have the amount I'm willing to risk, but I'm very happy with the interest I've earned this year. And I trust them implicitly. Also, using your Bitcoin as collateral, you can take out a USD loan. You can also fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app, you can now fully manage your account on the go. With so much more coming in this year, it's going to be another huge year for the company. 
If you are interested in checking out BlockFi, I do recommend you do your own research, then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. So, no, I'm just trying to understand, like, put myself in the position of someone thinking of investing. It's like, okay, it's 40% of operating cash flow. But, for example, I would imagine first couple of years, there may not be any operating cash flow because businesses are tired. It's like it's hard work. That could be for years. So, therefore, it might be an investment, which is speculation on future operating cash flow. I don't imagine if I was to put... $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 Twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars into INX. The next year, I'm going to suddenly get a a lovely kind of token dividend payout of the cash flow. I imagine what's going to happen is that most of the money is going to be reinvested just to grow the business, and that makes sense. I get that. So, it's essentially, investment in the token is a speculation on the future cash flows, and 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 I don't think many people will be buying it for that. They'll be buying it for speculation, which gets me to my next point. It feels like we're now in this world of like a, a double kind of ownership structure of a business. You have the equity ownership, traditional equity ownership, and we now have this te- token ownership. But if you but if you own the token, you have no benefit for the sale of the business, which equity holders have. Um, and it's, it's it seems to me now like a, a kind of a neat way of raising funds without giving up equity, actually giving away cash flow, which if you ask me, and if I, you know, get in away from any of the ethics of this, if I look at my own business, you know, I've been offered money to to grow my little, my tiny little podcast empire. Um, and I've considered, I thought, I don't want to give away ownership. I, I'd rather just like bootstrap this and carry on. But if somebody said, oh, but you can sell tokens and raise the same amount of money and all you've got to give away is future cash flow, I'm like, well, I'm okay with that because I live fine on my salary and I live fine on my bonus. And and actually, my future is hopefully to sell it as a as a, as an entity. But my point being is like, it. I, I find it as this like, it's a way now we've got of raising funds without giving away any part of the business, kind of, excuse the analogy because it'll probably really piss you off, but kind of what EOS did. They raised $4 billion for their fund. So what about, what about ownership of the company is important to you? Uh, the exit. Okay. So a, a couple things on that. So first of all, you know, like I mentioned before, like the, the cash fund gives kind of a quasi-floor to the token value, we believe. Uh, that's part of the reason why why we put it there. So, in the in the case of a change of control, then the cash flow the cash fund gets distributed pro rata to the token holders. So, you, so you have that. The tokens will live on with all of their rights after that after after the distribution. That's not but, guaranteed, though. You know, Didn't we cover that? That's not guaranteed because any, for example, say Kraken or Coinbase acquired you, they might not want to have the token structure, so they could. Okay, end so. Up- so it's so it's it's a current legal agreement, okay? So this you can't write a new agreement that that contradicts uh, uh, an existing legal contract, right? So so it has to be dealt with. So you have to assume that if there if there's an acquisition that takes place, all parties involved are incentivized to keep the current structure in place, right? There, there's no and and that and that benefits equity and the token holders. Like you know, if somebody's going to come in and I don't know, just like do away with a token, uh, just wipe it off the balance sheet. It, 
it doesn't do a lot for the continuing viability of the business and, and the whole, you know, if, if somebody's acquiring us, I'm assuming it's because we were successful and that means that our model worked. So it's kind of like all these pieces have to work together, you know? I know you're not saying that like you don't get like uh, the upside of the private equity, mm. but there but there's uh, these other kind of factors in place that make it very compelling. And so you know it's it's it depends what you what's interesting to you. It, you know, is it more important for you to be private equity and have voting rights and have the sixty percent and the upside, or do you want to have the cash fund which backstops you, which you know you have liquidation preference to, which gets distributed and exit. So it just it depends what asset class is appetizing to you, really. What what, what size? So, sorry, sorry, Seth, let me just carry on with this and then then jump in. So, how big can the cash fund grow? That's you know that's what I don't understand for for kind of comparison purposes because one of the things about private equity is it the liquidation is the you know the, the trade off, right? I raise a bunch of money, but I have to liquidate part of my holdings. You know, I I you know I relinquish part of my holdings. I have a, a small, smaller representation in the business because of that, and that's the trade-off. But with this one, the trade-off is different in that you manage to raise money as a original bunch of equity holders without actually having to give up any equity. So I, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying this is just appears to be a new structure that I think people need to get their heads around. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a non-dilutive way to raise capital. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's not equity per se, but the 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 profit share is a meaningful part of the business. Um, you know, that if, plus say a good a good insurance fund backstop. Um, yeah. But you could potentially exit in three years, having not once generated an operating profit, and the private equity holders would be in for a, a, a sizable exit, whereas the token holders might not have actually seen any of the operating. Cash flow at that point. Well, I mean, if if three years from now and we're not generating operating cash flow, I don't see that turning into a sizable exit. <laughs> to be honest, well, you could be because you know, you, yeah. because you you know what it's like. I mean, this is tech world, right? Plenty of companies are bought for a huge amount of money that aren't generating any operating profit because you have the customer base. Or I mean, look at Blockfolio just sold for like what one hundred fifty million dollars, and I mean, I don't know what kind of operating profit. They have. They it, it could be a loss. I'm just saying it is a potential. I'm not. It is a potential that yeah. someone acquires you without having reached operational profit, and therefore there's been no distribution to the token holders at that point, potentially. Well, right, but until the cash fund gets distributed to them at the at the time of a change of control. Which so you so start I with guess, a 17 million dollar cash fund. No, so the, the cash fund, 75% of the proceeds from this IPO, over $25 million go into the cash fund. Okay. So if, if we raised the, the full $117 million, I think the cut ends up being net like uh, 42-some million for operations and something close to 70 in a cash fund. So okay. this is a material amount of money. I mean, you know, and so to what you're speaking of also... I mean, it's um, you know these these kind of backstops don't exist in like you know private equity investing or anything. You know, we're provide this is a meaningful backstop to the token holders. So they they they're they're risking it. It's it's a speculative investment, but this cash fund's pretty unique in that there there is a backstop there for them. Is that that fair to say then when you say backstop that it is uh, making it less likely that 
your investment in the token goes to zero. Right. So thank you. Um, All right. There's a base. The base value should be the cash fund itself. Right. So, you know, in in theory, because everything is, you know, at the end of the day is subject to law and courts and everything. But yeah, in theory, you you, you don't have the the potential for 100% loss. Right. You know, even it could because even if it went to bankruptcy, God forbid, and then you know, the, the cash fund goes to the token holders first and because uh, they're seen as liability holders of the company. So it's like an insurance fund yeah. for the token holders. That size interest. So, okay, okay, okay. So that, that, that bit's kind of interesting. But, but you, don't, you do understand the point I'm getting at. It's like when I, when I explain it to myself as a potential investor, I don't like it. But then when I explain it to myself as somebody who wants to raise money, I fucking love it. I think it's great. I mean... Raise money without well, um, uh, dilution. That's, that sounds amazing. Well, so we've also spent a lot of time talking about, I think, the risks and like what the possible worst case scenarios for token holders are. And I'm not sure if anyone's talked about like what are the possible best case scenarios for token holders. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> well, best case is that it's usually successful. You generate a huge amount of operating profit, and they essentially receive these nice token dividends. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, we're very similar to the BNB model, really. I mean, we're we're like a regulated BNB, and it's, the tokens will trade like equity. They'll follow, you know, people will follow the, the how the exchange is doing. It will keep an eye on our volumes, and you know, so it'll it'll trade real time. We're a publicly reporting company. We're going to be putting out, uh, you know, quarterly financials, so we're ridiculously visible and transparent. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's the upside is uh, you know for for the token holders. So I think uh, INX is a totally non-traditional offering, and uh, it's been remarked as a landmark filing. But what this is is going forward, we're going to see a lot more different kinds of capital raises. So you know, I'm doing the Infinite Fleet uh, Exo Security Token. That's similar in ways to INX, but also different. So for Exo, the um, uh, token holders get uh, first rights on any liquidation or uh, liquidity events like M&A. And they also get a profit share, but they don't retain the voting. But it, I think it's inevitable that we're going to see different permutations of this kind of thing uh, that come out in the next couple of years. It could be a mix of uh, equity or voting or you know some pr- different mix of those di- different things. And I don't think it's a bad thing because secure tokens let you tokenize different parts mm. of your business if you want. Like, you could tokenize your uh, your ad revenue on web. Hey, yeah. I mean, you, you you can structure this in a million different ways. Well, like really. I said, you know, we, I mean, I, I looked at it before, and I looked at one point of raising a good few million to do this to create a podcast network similar to what Gimlet did. Right? I I recognize there's an opportunity; it works well on the ad sales. But I was going to have to lick, I was going to have to dilute something like thirty. I think it was just over thirty percent of my equity would be. Yeah, you know, I would have to give up for that investment. But like I say, if I could raise the same amount of money, and I only only have to give up future cash flow, it's, it's absolutely no problem for me because my goal is an exit. So I, I think it's mm-hmm. advantageous to the to the equity holders. I, I'm not sure. Therefore, is like is this a zero sum game that this is actually disadvantage? Like, is every is this a win win situation or is this disadvantageous? To the equity holders, I don't know. Well, I think you have to know that too. That 
there there are a lot mm-hmm. of alignments and incentives in place to keep everything running. So uh, all the shareholders are are token holders too. So why would they nuke their business and their token holdings? Right, they're locked up. Uh, but I think ultimately you could harp on it and really attack the point uh, about the voting. But I don't know if no, voting no, is I don't necessarily care about the a good thing. I don't care about the voting. So, yeah. Well, some yeah. people will care about the voting. Yeah, that's like, just, you, it seems, it will, it seems to come up a lot, right? and I mean, I, I guess I understand it from a point of view of if, uh, I don't know, like a Carl Icahn, like an activist, activist investor can come in and kind of take control or something, but Mm. Every proxy I've received in the mail over my years for like, you know, your the stockholders meeting is coming up. But I mean, I think they've pretty much all gone in the trash. So. Yeah, I mean, so I, I don't know why people like yeah. to have this sticking point about about voting rights. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But, you know, well, it's, it's, it's an attack surface, yeah. right? So if you look at Ubisoft, they faced a hostile takeover from Vendi that they managed to fight off. But having the voting rights out there is not a good thing all the time. It's just another way for people to attack. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, you know, okay. So in our, in our company, the private equity came first and then the tokens came later. Um, the private equity had voting rights. Then layering on the voting rights on top of that for tokens, we, we just thought was going to be incredibly uh, confusing and been, and been a, like a really, so it wasn't like we were trying to take their vote away more that it would, it would have been a kind of an impossible construct. So we layered in the other benefits to yeah. kind of make up for it. It's like a, it's an, it's an IPO without dilution. Yeah. It's like, it's not, it's a non-dilutive uh, raise. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's very interesting. Like I said, I, I'm, I haven't fully concluded where I'm at with it. I mean, ultimately, look, it's free choice. People have an absolute free choice to invest. I, but like I say, as a somebody running a business, it's it's great. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, it's great. Okay, fine. <laughs> just past that point. Um, so, 130 million tokens to be released. Well, actually, just back, let's go back a step. Some people have tokens and equity, so they essentially have double bubble. Did you think that? Did you ever consider that equity holders shouldn't have the token? Um, well, the equity holders. Um, Senior management has both, which which makes sense because they're the ones that you want to care about yeah. or, inc- or align with the token holders. You know, if other if other private equity holders uh, have tokens, you know, they they bought them okay. at some point or in early stage. Yeah, but I, I think the important thing is that the people that you want to be aligned with the token holders <laughs> that control the company have a significant amount of tokens. Okay. So, you know, senior management, board of directors, advisors. So, you know, the, all the, all the incentives are aligned. You, you know, you see the, the other 70 million tokens, cause you've got a 200 million hard cap. What are they for? Yep. What, what are, what... So yeah, so 200 million uh, tokens in total, uh, no more can ever be created. That's bound by the contract. Uh, 35 million are in a token reserve, which can be used for future acquisitions or other uses. And the other 35 million are for, uh, employees, uh, insiders, management, uh, advisors. So the, the, so the breakdown is 130, 35, 35. So the other 35 essentially can, it's a kind of a dilution, potential dilution on the on the token so yes yeah, so, so so the profit pool only gets shared about only gets shared amongst the tokens that are out there in, in the public so you know let's like so we don't we don't get a profit share in, in of on the tokens that we hold in our treasury it's it's not part of it's not part of the profit pool but if you use um, them for acquisitions for example 
that could end up being a a dilution on the other token holders. Yeah, and I think um, you know, look, it's 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 already out. Like everybody knows the total yeah. limits, and it's and it's finite. So it's everything's still underneath the two hundred million. And yeah, we can use it as a currency in the future to to acquire something. You think it'd be accretive to the company if we're going to spend the tokens like that? That it benefits everybody, you know, including all the token holders. So what, um, what is yeah. what is the v- total value at the kind of market rate for those thirty five million tokens? Is that essentially so? If it's nine, is it nine cents? It's it's ninety cents 90 is cents. the is the is the price. So that's like uh, thirty one million or thirty two million or something. Well, I mean, if if you use the in the future the token reserve as currency for an acquisition or something, I mean, it's you know at the it's worth whatever is the market rate at the time or you know something nearby it, I guess. So it's, it's you know like it becomes more, the, money, those tokens become the, those tokens become more and more valuable to us for, as currency for an acquisition or something as if as, if the token value goes up in value. So, but that is kind of a money printer, in that you can then just release these tokens dilute the value of other people's tokens use that for an acquisition that could increase their value of equity holders in the business it's a little bit of a money printer yeah but but again everything through the profit share you know everybody benefits under the umbrella right so you know if if, yeah i think the incentives are way more towards equity holders the structure of it. Well, I think, you know, I think it's like it's like what I said. Like everybody's, everybody's going to benefit. There, there's no way to kind of unequally and uh, you know benefit the shareholders over the token holders. You know, if you, if you acquire a business, mm-hmm. uh, you know that you would assume that it's an accretive, you know, a, a beneficial thing for the entire business, which brings more value to the shareholders, but brings you know more potential future profits for the token holders. So it's you know, it's it's really hard to say. You know, we're like money printing to the detriment of the token holders. It's, uh, um, you know, if if I want to go out and buy a crappy business that drains cash flows, well, I'm not doing much for my enterprise value as a as a shareholder either. So you know, the things are kind of like no, parallel no, no, lines. No. But I wouldn't assume. I wouldn't assume. You, hold on, hold mm-hmm. on. I wouldn't assume you would do that. But you might buy another business which is got rapid growth. Is again not operationally profitable, but it's got a huge customer base. Uh, you know, and again, that might not add anything to the cash cash flow in the short term, but it might add something to the total equity value of the business or accelerate growth. Yeah, I think I would still I would go again and fall back on the fact that the senior management holds a very significant amount of tokens. That it you know it it doesn't make sense for us to do something that. Uh, you know, I can't predict the future, but you know everything is. Yeah, but the but, yeah. the, but the the insurance fund values the tokens that you own at higher than the price the senior management bought them for or issued them. Yeah, but that's just like any other any any business is like that. You know, I mean, yeah, any, yeah. any founder is going to have shares that have a much lower course, valuation. Fine. So it, it's all yeah. so. I think people are complaining about money, right. like they're anti-capitalist. <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm not anti-capitalist, and I'm not complaining about the money. I'm just trying to, because this is a new structure, right? If I was to buy into equity, I understand what I'm buying into, because it's 
the models existed for a long time. This is a brand new and unique model where you are acquire, you're investing in the future of the business. Like I say, it's an IPO without dilution for the equity holders and for the token holder. They, there's no guarantee of future token div- dividends, but you do have the backstop. It's just I'm, li- I'm like logically you're working trying, through my head as I you're go trying to it. find a situation in which uh, it would be logical for the company to make a decision that is at the detriment of uh, you know at least short term profitability, but not necessarily good for long term profitability. Um, I mean, I think that companies make decisions and trade offs like that all the time where it's, you know, short term bad or short term creating a lot of debt. But the goal is that over the long term, you'll end up better off. Right. I mean, and, 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 and I'll, you know, well, actually, going back also to the, the, like the, the place that the token holders have in our ecosystem is crucial. Right. So if, if you piss off token holders, <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't help the business. You know, it, it, it's like it's like our captive little ambassador army. So, um, you know, it really has the potential to to do the business in if you don't do things that are in the best interests of them. They're they're, they're in a, you know they're linked to yeah. the, the the future of the business really. So you, no, of you course, have- it's just it's the logic I'm just trying to work through of this again. Like I said, there's two ownership structures and. You can build massive value in the equity whilst not building value in the token, certainly over a shorter time frame. Because at most start, the very few businesses are built for for the future dividends. They're not built for the for the hope of just delivering dividends. Most businesses, especially in technology, are built for an exit. Like everybody is sat there saying, "I want an exit." At some point, I want to exit. Um, and I think INX is the same. INX goal is to exit at some point. I would imagine so. Therefore, it's it's highly possible that over a, a certain time frames that value is uh, disproportionately built for equity holders over token holders. Yet token holders have funded the operations. Yeah, well, I think <clears throat> I think the, you know the cash fund plays a large role here too. It's you know it's a large portion of what they're invest what, what yeah. they invested in. You know, sits there. You know, essentially for 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 them to have first rights to. So you know, it's yeah. uh, it's that they're, they're not putting. You know, like the the, the private equity put a hundred percent of their money at risk. Okay, they have no, they have no guarantee of anything. I, I think they have- lose hundred percent of the of yeah. what they have. So that's what I mean. It's just a different thing. It's a it's a yeah. new thing to weigh up. So There's like trade offs. Old new experiment that I'm sure we're going to learn a lot of new interesting things about over the coming mm-hmm. years. You know, as these new dynamics play off against each other, and who knows? I mean, perhaps the company, while not giving voting rights to token holders. Uh, you know, since they care about the market of the tokens, you know, perhaps they end up doing some sort of like informal polling or other, you know, trying to suss out, you know, what the market of token holders would actually like. And, you know, this could go a million different ways. Yeah, but I you mean, might get, you, you might get unions. You might get, you might get token holder unions <laughs> who refuse to trade. Yeah, or maybe you might get some union leader. Holders, you know, threaten to dump all of their tokens. You know, that could make a meaningful impact upon decisions <laughs> by the operator, operators of the company. Exactly. I think free markets are a stronger control than yeah. voting and shareholders like that. Hey, INX is a totally new paradigm. We don't know how it's going to play out. And I think some of the assumptions you're making, Peter, are on the uh, are leaning towards. You're kind of uh, portraying that assumption 
so that the token holders are left holding the bag. But there's another scenario that you're not playing out, which is the token holders could be getting 40% profit shares for 10, 20 years, and INX never sells, and the shareholders never get a liquidity event. And in that case, who wins? I, I think. Yeah, I mean, literally, there's a million different scenarios. Well, no, because 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 you'll still have dividend. If you it's forty percent of the profit, so the other sixty percent will still be paid out, and di- therefore, well, not the entirety of your. No, no, those, no, those no but dividends, dividends those, will still exist. Are, You're not going to sit on sixty percent profits every year. No, you can reinvest profits into no, a company. Of course, and of course. Build but it. I'm just saying, I like. I, I, those I, are not dividends until they right, are. And, I, are and you know, while the forty percent is actually a contractual right that they get every year, dividends. I mean, the board needs to declare them. So yeah, they don't exist I mean, like as I say, right now. I don't. But if you believe in the free market, and let's say the shareholders pay out a hefty dividend of sixty percent, I think the token holders will start dumping, and that will have an adverse right. effect on INX. So it's like you, INX is like pure free market play. If you don't like him, yeah. you sell your token, and that's how you vote. You vote with your money, and I don't know why Bitcoiners hate that idea because that's well, the whole idea of Bitcoin. Well, it's yeah, like I don't hate your it. money. It's you know, I mean, part of the part of the painful point of hearing like the scam, scam, scam over and over is like, I mean, we killed ourselves to put every different you know uh, protection and alignment mm-hmm. in place for this thing. I mean, no, nothing in the crypto space has ever ever been this transparent. I can confidently say that. Like I've not, I've been in this space since 2013. No, no chance any project has ever done anything like this. That so we have audited financials. Every material agreement is public. My employment agreement is public. Our board of directors is actual people that you can recognize. That you know where you know who they are, and it's and our board is uh, independent by majority. You know we just we put so many protections in place. There's a million different scenarios, uh, honestly, but I think you know we really we tried to in, align all the incentives. The token holders are the core to to all of it, and um, you know it's uh, it's a new asset class. We're a little bit of an experiment, but we think we did like best of both worlds for creating this asset class. Mm. I think what it is is that ICOs and those kind of scams have poisoned yeah, the well we to PTSD. the point where people can't really they can't really tell what is a real business and what is not. Uh, real business anymore because you know ICOs were essentially mimicking corporate governance structures or at least trying to mimic mm. them right like advisory boards and boards of directors are, are are corporate things right and even then you can have a company with a, a great boards that is a total scam like Theranos they had the what the U.S. Secretary of Defense uh, former U.S. Secretary of yeah. State Henry Kissinger uh, a former director of the CDC you know. It, a scam is a scam. It doesn't really matter if it's a, a token project or a right. company project. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I don't, I don't hate it, and I don't think it's a scam. Like I don't. I just fundamentally don't think it's a scam. Um, I kind of got my like concluding points, which, um, well, is there anything I've not asked you, Alan? You wish I had about this? Oh, I thought I you were gonna. I thought you were winding up to pose some crazy question to me. I know. Um, no, I, th- I think I think we've pretty well covered everything. I think. You know, it's we've kind of popped up overnight. Um, th- this is part of the problem with the regulatory process, also. So, you know, we have an uphill battle, and people they're going to have to mm-hmm. learn. You know, I've, I've been we thought we were imminently getting approved like months ago. So we've been in a quiet period, like in total clampdown for months. So people, you know, we're, we'll teach people the best we can. Nobody reads a prospectus, so we're going to have to educate everybody. But um, 
yeah, more will be coming out in the coming days and uh, people will, uh, will learn more about us. I mean, my kind of like concluding thoughts are, like I said, I don't think it's a scam. Um, I think you couldn't have been more transparent. Absolutely, you couldn't. I also like a lot of the ideas. I like the idea of being able to buy assets and hold them in my uh, like uh, hardware wallet alongside. Just I only have to go to one place to sell my all my different types of assets. I like that. I think that's really cool. I like the idea. I like the fundraise. It's, a, it's an amazing way of raising funds. Um, I don't think I could do it for a Bitcoin podcast. I think I'd lose all my audience. But uh, I, I, I can see the incentives for that. Uh, Jameson, I don't think you've really, I don't think you've compromised your beliefs as long as I've known you. First time I did an interview with you, we talked about Grin, and that was nearly three years ago. Ah, um, shitcoiner. Long time shitcoiner. Yeah, long time shitcoiner. Uh, Samsung, I I. I just one little air of slight hypocrisy, I think, but you know we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Um, um, sure, you know that is what it is. But this, the th- the things I wouldn't invest, and I tell you why. I just very simple. I wouldn't invest is that I believe over the next two to five years, Bitcoin's a better investment. But I believe that about almost anything, so I wouldn't. Although I'm tempted to buy just a small amount to watch the experiment, just to. It's just like a little bit. Tony says, $100 of every scam. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Listen yeah, to I'm the tempted pony. to try it, which will get me a backlash. I'm, I'm suddenly I'm now a shit winner. No, I'm tempted to do it just to follow the experiment to see how it plays out. Um, just to be clear, Peter, uh, you're not going to be able to hold your INX tokens in your CASA multisig. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I had a feeling. I had a feeling that would be the case, yeah. but that's good. I fucking love my... But if Casa supports Liquid and INX is on Liquid, Ooh. do I need uh, do I need to use an XPub to buy my INX? <laughs> no, but you can buy it from a pub. <laughs> That's right. I'll meet you at a pub. All right, can, listen, can look, it. this has been good. You, um, you know, I told you I was going to just give you some honest, hard questions. I think you've answered them. Um, I think you've been fair. Uh, everyone knows you, Samson, and. Uh, uh, Jameson, but you haven't been on before, Alan. Do you want to just tell people if they are interested in INX, how do they find out more? Yeah, it's uh, go to inx.co is the website, um, and I will uh, I'll give you the prospectus as well to post uh, with the video, which you definitely should. All right, awesome. Well, listen, best of luck with it. I think it's uh, definitely an interesting experiment. Um, yeah, I hope it's I. I Hope it's successful. How do I hope it's successful? I hope it's successful in changing the way people can invest, and I don't have any issue with it fundamentally. Um, I just there's some nuance to it, but yeah, best of luck with it, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks Peter. Okay, so what did you make of that one? For me. This was kind of a bit tricky because, you know, I am a Bitcoiner. I don't really have interest in anything else. I don't consider myself an out-and-out maximalist. I sometimes find that a little bit, I don't know, it just gets in your face a little bit. And especially some of the attitudes of people is just so negative and such bullshit online all the time. Like, like I feel myself just kind of like wanting to be Bitcoin only, but not being that kind of like hardcore camp of people who just go fucking crazy about everything. And what I wanted to do with INX was just be as fair as possible. So I spent a lot of time reviewing the website, reviewing the content. Look, ultimately, I don't think it is a scam, but I don't 
there's a lot I don't like about it. And you will have heard that through the interview. I mean, my primary issue with it is really is that they get to raise a lot of the funds without diluting the equity. And I, I don't see this as just a win-win. I, I see this as pushing most of the risk onto the token holders and removing the dilution for the equity holders, which is kind of the trade-off you make when you raise money. It's like, do I bootstrap or do I do I raise money uh, and dilute? And I think they're skipping this step by going through a token, which makes it less desirable for me. And like I said, I don't think it's a scam. I do think there's a lot to criticize. I do think there's some hypocrisy in there. But I don't think the idea of just tokenizing a security is itself a scam. I mean, some people will say it's a scam by supporting Ethereum, which is a scam. And we go through this whole scamception thing, which all gets very, very confusing. Uh, just myself, I, I, you know, I like that idea of being able to buy assets and hold that token on a um, hardware wallet. And perhaps that will be some tokenized equity in the future, which maybe exists on Liquid. I don't know. But I'm not just going to stay there and just call everything bullshit from the start. But I um but I think I was fair. I think I pushed them enough and I think I was fair and I think I raised the right issues. I know not everyone's going to agree with this. I know there's going to be going to be some people like fucking bullshit man. It's not bitcoin, it's a shitcoin and, and I get that approach. It just that isn't me. Um Anyway, if you've got any questions about this, you can feedback to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, massive thanks to everyone who supports the show. Just had the numbers in for the last month. Um, across both shows, I think I've just crossed 400,000 downloads, which is fucking insane. Uh, so thank you to everyone who supports the show, comes on it, listens, downloads, shares. If you do want to support the show, it's all up on my website. Go to whatbitcoindid.com, click on the support section. Also, definitely check out Defiance. Part four of my show covering this band, The Ghost Inside, is out on Thursday. It's the final part. It's the most downloaded show that's been on Defiance. It's a fascinating story, so check that out. Anyway, have a great week. And as I said, if you want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, and I will see you all soon. We could live.